how poignant, then, must have been the grief with which, after some years, I beheld my well-grounded expectations take wing to themselves and fly away. Without Ligeia, I was but as a child groping benighted. Her presence, her readings alone, rendered vividly luminous the many mysteries of the transcendentalism in which we were immersed. Wanting the radiant luster of her eyes, letters, lambent and golden, grew duller than Saturnian lead, and now those eyes shone less and less frequently upon the pages over which I pored. Ligeia grew ill. The wild eyes blazed with a too, too glorious effulgence. The pale fingers became of the transparent waxen hue of the grave, and the blue veins upon the lofty forehead swelled and sank impetuously with the tides of the most gentle emotion. I saw that she must die, and I struggled desperately in spirit with the grim Azrael, and the struggles of the passionate wife were, to my astonishment, even more energetic than my own. There had been much in her sterner nature to impress me with the belief that, to her, death would have come without its terrors. But not so. Words are impotent to convey any just idea of the fierceness of resistance with which she wrestled with the shadow. I groaned in anguish at the pitiable spectacle. I would have soothed, I would have reasoned, but in the intensity of her wild desire for life, for life, but for life, solace and reason were alike the uttermost of folly. Yet not until the last instance, amid the most convulsive writhings of her fierce spirit, was shaken the external placidity of her demeanour. Her voice grew more gentle, grew more low. Yet I would not wish to dwell upon the wild meaning of the quietly uttered words. My brain reeled as I hearkened, entranced, to a melody more than mortal, to assumptions and aspirations which mortality had never before known. That she loved me I should not have doubted, and I might have been easily aware that, in a bosom such as hers, love would have reigned no ordinary passion. But in death only was I fully impressed with the strength of her affection. For long hours, detaining my hand, would she pour out before me the overflowing of a heart whose more than passionate devotion amounted to idolatry. How had I deserved to be so blessed by such confessions? How had I deserved to be so cursed with the removal of my beloved in the hour of my making them. But upon this subject I cannot bear to dilate. Let me say only that in Ligeia's more than womanly abandonment to a love, alas, all unmerited, all unworthily bestowed, I at length recognized the principle of her longing, with so wildly earnest a desire, for the life which was now fleeing so rapidly away. It is this wild longing, it is this eager vehemence of desire for life, but for life, that I have no power to portray, no utterance capable of expressing. At high noon of the night in which she departed, 
Beckoning me peremptorily to her side, she bade me repeat certain verses, composed by herself not many days before. I obeyed her. They were these. Lo, tis a gala night, within the lonesome latter years. An angel throng, bewinged, bedecked in veils and drowned in tears. Sit in a theatre, to see a play of hopes and fears, while the orchestra breathes fitfully the music of the spheres. Mimes, in the form of God on high, mutter and mumble low, and hither and thither fly, mere puppets they, who come and go at bidding of vast formless things that shift the scenery to and fro, flapping from out their condor wings invisible woe. That motley drama, oh, be sure it shall not be forgot, with its phantom, chased for evermore by a crowd that sees it not. 